Dungeons Hour, hosted by Shane and Derek, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Season 2, Episode 2 of the Sens Hour Podcast, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, sponsored by Customized Sports, your number one stop for all your custom jersey needs. And on today's episode, we got a lot to talk about. There's news coming out for uh, the season UND starting to place. We got, you know, Sens prospects to talk about and much more. So stay tuned. We got an hour of jam-packed content for you. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing well, Shane. Uh, had a few days off here, so uh, looking forward to actually looking forward to getting back to work, which sounds weird, but uh, just back to routines. And uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting about uh, UND and the other happenings around the NHL. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I, I yesterday was my first day back at work, having the last like two, three days off. So I understand what you mean about you don't like having too many days off in a row. Yeah, sometimes you just get so far out of routine that you just need to get back to routine. So especially in COVID times, I guess that's uh, that's the challenging thing. It's when you get so far away from your regular routine, um, you've got to find a way back to it. So I'm looking forward to getting back. 100%. I mean, if you're watching live uh, and if you're listening to the podcast, definitely head on over to our Twitch or YouTube channel. Derek's dressed up in all his Christmas gear. He got his christmas sweater going on the christmas tree lit up in the background he is all festive we're a couple of weeks away from christmas then. we're almost the end of 2020 who would have thought this year would have come to an end <laughs> and we're all going to be thankful <laughs> oh yeah and i mean hopefully it, there's hockey around the corner in 2021 uh or last night so saturday night or friday night uh there was news that broke by elliot friedman saying that it seems like the, the PA and the, the league are working towards a 52 or a 50 game, 56 game schedule. And they're more likely for this 56 games with a start date between January 13th or 16th with players reporting for camp out of the seven, seven non-bubble teams as early as January, as December 28th. Yeah, that's, that's exciting news. It's a little bit ahead of time. I guess they put the economic discussion on pause for now. So it's not like we're completely done with that and out of the woods, but it is refreshing to hear that they're at least talking about a regular season, um, a shortened season at that, which is kind of what we expected anyway. Um, but to me, it, it's good news. I mean, it's good news that the two sides are still talking and it's good news that they're dealing with the logistics so that it's not dealing with the economics first. And then you have to deal with the logistics and that could take, you know, another couple of weeks to hash out. So it's good that they at least continue talking. Um, In my mind, I'm optimistic. I still think there's going to be a season this year. Um, And after hearing that, I'm more optimistic. What about you? I mean, I've been optimistic. I think it makes it easier to deal with the economic side of things when you have a a plan, like a logistics plan of how things are going to work. That way you can go to the NHL, okay, we're going to have a 56-game season. We need to figure out the economics of this 56 game season plus playoffs and i think you know once you get that kind of ironed out the the money side of everything just kind of falls into place yeah i'm just curious if you think if this is a bit of a tactic by the league to say like look we're willing to 
work with you guys to make a, a regular season um, and to propose a 56 game regular season, um, are you going to give a little on the economic side now that we have a plan in place? Because now that the league could say, now it's the players holding it up because now they're not going to agree to the economic side. Um, so I kind of, I kind of wonder if it's just a, you know, a bit of a tactic by the league, although it is good to get these details sorted out. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would be wrong not to think that because I think obviously it is, you can tell the players like, Hey, we have a plan in place. You know, we, we have a plan in place. You guys just need to, we just need to figure out the money side of it. And it's golden especially if the players agree to the logistical side of everything. And if it's just come down to money, well, that that's on the players at that point. It really is. And it, it'll be interesting. I don't know. Cause I, I know so far the players don't want to budge. They don't want to give up that 16%. Um, the league, I think needs to have a season this year. I think they realize that. And obviously the players want to have a season cause they want to get paid. Um, so I think both sides want the same thing. It's just a matter of, you know, working the details out and whatever that's going to look like. Um, what do you think about the talks of outdoor games, uh, potentially happening? I, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that it's Anaheim and LA, like two of the cities, uh, Boston. And I think Pittsburgh were the other two, not overly surprising. They have the ability, like availability to do so relatively colder it makes a little bit more sense but i don't see it happening i think there's too many logistical thing like logistical errors that could happen you know bad ice inconsistent ice it's just not worth it yeah to me it's a little bit of a stretch as well they're just trying to look at how they can possibly make money and, and get people in seats in some capacity but um i agree with you i think logistically that takes a lot of planning to get those things together, especially in those warm climates. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it's a little too late, a little too little too late, I guess, at this point to be looking at outdoor games. Uh, if it was something that they had planned on the table a long time ago, uh, then you know I'd be all for it. I think it would work out. Uh, but at this stage, it seems a little late. Agreed. And it kind of brings into the point of like, you know, the alignment and how would that work? And realistically, if you're the Pacific, there's going to be a lot of hot area teams. I don't see an outdoor rink working in those areas. Yeah, I guess, I, like, I guess they have the technology. They did one outdoor game, did they not, in one of the warmer climates? I'm trying to they, remember. They did one in the Cotton Bowl. They've done one, I think, in LA and in Florida, I think. Or they're looking at doing one in Florida. I just... I, it's doable, but I don't see it being doable for like a long period of time. Yeah, it does seem like a bit of a gimmick too. Like, I just want to see actual hockey <laughs> and you want to see hockey being played, especially the highest level hockey being played with some quality to it. Um, and when you start mixing in warm climates and outdoor surfaces, it's just not the same hockey. You're getting kind of a, a rough game that, you know, the puck's bouncing everywhere and it's, it's not the hockey that we want to see. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. I agree on that. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with it. Yeah. I mean, either way, if, if they do figure out a way to work it in, I'm fine with it. It's, it's not going to affect 
us in any way, anyway, uh, from a sense fan perspective. Uh, so, you know, whatever they end up doing there is what it is. I just want to see hockey. I don't really care, you know, how they bring it back or what they do. Uh, at this point, I think we all just want to see hockey. Oh, 100%. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do um, for for a schedule, to be honest, how they're going to break up the games, especially in the Canadian division when you have a team so far out west like Vancouver where that's a lot of travel. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that'll bring bring about another logistics issue, but I, I'm sure they'll work it out where they, they're probably playing like series of games. Um, so they're traveling somewhere and then doing some kind of series um, and then traveling somewhere else and doing a series. Um, unless you see them traveling just for one game. What, what do you think about that? I think they're going to be in the AHL like style schedule where like Ottawa will go to to like go to Calgary, play a Friday, Saturday in Calgary, and then go to Edmonton on Sunday, play two games Monday, Tuesday in Edmonton kind of thing. Right. Um, in a 56 game schedule, I actually put something together um, here oh, okay. where, you know, this is, this is kind of where I think how the, the, the games are going to go. You're going to have six games against Vancouver eight against Edmonton and Calgary, 10 against Winnipeg, and then 12 against Toronto and Montreal. Makes the most sense, like, logistical-wise. You don't have to travel out to Vancouver, uh, basically, one more one more time. They don't have to travel in. You get two more, like, rivalry games out of, out of uh, yeah. Montreal or Toronto without having to have an unbalanced schedule in terms of you know, Toronto gets six home games and Montreal gets six home games, whatever the case may be. So this is kind of where I think the league might look at, at least in the Canadian division where travel is going to be a little bit harder. I think Vancouver, you're not going to see Vancouver play Ottawa, Montreal, or Toronto a lot compared to what we would see with Winnipeg because of how close they are together. Yeah, fair enough. I didn't even think about that, to be honest. I just had it like eight games a piece. Like I just kind of thought it would be broken down evenly. But uh, but you're probably you're probably onto something there. That looks pretty good. Yeah, I was just like thinking about it. I'm like, I don't see them traveling out to Vancouver. They're most likely going to give more games to Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa than they would to like Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal to Vancouver kind of thing. Right, and it, it makes it fun for from a rivalry perspective, uh, for sure. If we're playing, you know, Toronto and Montreal, the majority of the games, 12, 12 games a piece. I think you had. Uh, 12, yeah, 12 games apiece, six home, wow. six away. That's a huge chunk of your season playing against rival teams. That would be, to me, it would be a lot of fun to see. It, it would definitely make things interesting, especially coming down near, like, if you space out the game. So you have, they're not all within, like, four months. They're all, or they're not within, like, a five-week span. They're all kind of spread out. You start the season against them. You end the season against them kind of thing where the games matter a little bit more. I think things would get downright nasty between teams, especially as we approach the playoffs. And I'm not sure if they're going to do another ex- expanded kind of playoff thing. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think they'll expand the playoffs? I don't think so. I think unless there's like a reason why they have to stop the season early, I don't see there being an expanded playoffs. I think you're going to have the top four from each division win. I think we're going to see a, like a true one through 16 um, playoffs. I don't see them being like, okay, we're going to take two West or whatever. I think it's going to be a straight like 
1 through 16, and it's basically the best team wins, which I think would be amazing. That would be so much cooler, just the top 16 teams, and then there's no debate. You know, there's no, oh, if this team was in this division, they would do better, and, you know, you, you could just take 1 through 16 and, and be done with it. Um, and you get to see the 16 best teams in the league play in the playoffs, which is, I think, what everyone wants. Yeah, and I mean, I think, but I mean, if you do one through 16, you may as well just do the one through, and this is where people are, like, the argument is if you're going to do one through 16, you may as well just do one through 16. You have your four division winners and then the next best, you know, uh, 12 teams are five through 12 or five, yeah, five through 16, not this, you know, four division kind of win. What I, what I see happening is, an interdivision playoffs as well, where you have the you have your four division winners, one through four, one place four, two place three, um, the first two rounds, and then they kind of break it up as like, um, and they make the decision what to do after that for the third third round. If you know, because we're gonna have an East division really, like we're gonna have basically that co- like a that coastal side of like the New Yorks. Um, probably Buffalo, Boston, um, maybe Tampa and Florida. I don't know how they're going to uh, – Carolina and whatnot. So you could just say, okay, if any, like, you know, how are we going to break this up and could have, like, an, an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference Finals based off that. Because Central, I think the – Central is going to take Columbus and um, Detroit, I think is what is happening from what I've seen. And then the the West is going to be like uh, Colorado, um, and like they're going to replace the three teams in Canada. And I'm, I think that's pretty cool. But I think you could make an East versus West at that point. But I think it's going to be like one th- one verse one verse four, two verse three kind of thing, if they go that route. Either way, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting year. I think it'll be probably one of the more entertaining years if it ends up this way. Uh, just from a fan perspective, uh, it's obviously it, it's going to go back to normal when you know when everything else does. But at least for this season, in a sprint, to me, it's more exciting. Uh, there's a lot more meaningful hockey in there, um, and you know it, it basically it gets going game one, and uh, you could tell when players are playing mean, meaningful hockey versus you know having a full 82 game season uh, where guys sometimes take nights off. That won't be the case this year. No, and I mean, without it, and they're saying that no expe- exhibition games either. Right, so just no, right into action. You have your two weeks of training camp, and then you're right into it. Yeah, they probably don't want to waste any, you know, potential COVID cases coming up during an exhibition game. And, and they, you know, you're working with a much shorter time frame. They have to get this thing done. So uh, it's it's going to be a hell of a, a year if they could pull it off. Uh, Let's hope that they work the economic side out and we get to actually look at this thing and and then really break it down and, and see, you know, what that's going to look like for the Senators. Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, we're, we're on top of the Canadian division and this question kind of came up about from the guys at Another Leafs pod who are part of the network. They, they posted the question to their followers, you know, do you think a Canadian division hurts or helps the Leafs? And it's kind of an interesting question because if you look at the the Atlantic as a whole, it's 
Ottawa, Detroit, and then Buffalo, Florida, Montreal. They're they're generally the third or fourth best team mm-hmm. in the division. And you can make a bank of the cable. You have Ottawa, Detroit, probably playing four times a year. That should be an easy W. So there's some easy points per se. And you look at it in the the Eastern Conference, there's New Jersey that's kind of wishy-washy and whatnot. And then you look at the West where Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver all made the playoffs. And they have a they technically have a stronger conference, especially with the Central, and that's where the Jets are in. Who do you what team do you think hurts the most out of this? Because for me, I think it's Toronto. I, I have it the opposite. I mean, I had, I think when we did our list, I had Toronto finishing uh, first in the conference, or first in the division, rather. Um, so to me, uh, when I looked at the Atlantic, um, you know, before versus the Canadian division, I see a lot less middle class. Like there's just not a lot of middle class teams. There's, you know, you had the, the top teams in the Leafs in Tampa, in Boston, if you want to, you could call the Leafs a middle-class team, I guess. Um, and then you have the, the bottom feeders, you know, like Ottawa, Florida, and uh, Buffalo. Uh, and there just isn't a lot of, of middle ground in there. And then I look at an all-Canadian division, and it's like almost all middle-class. Um, so it's really interesting uh, to me. Um, I, I don't think the Leafs hurt the most. In fact, I think they benefit the most from, from this division realignment. Um, I think maybe a team like Ottawa who could have stepped in front of some of those bottom feeder teams this year will have a little bit of a, a difficult time doing that uh, in this kind of division. Um, but but I'm not 100% on that either. You know, I don't know that Ottawa can't um, finish ahead of Montreal, for example, who I still don't really believe in with their offseason moves. Um and even Vancouver, I mean, Vancouver had an interesting offseason, to say the least. They lost a few key uh, key players on their team. So, you know, in a 56-game season, could Ottawa pull in, in front of some of those teams? Maybe, because they're not top echelon teams that we're talking about. Um, but to me, I see the Leafs as the number one team in that division. That's not that's fair. I just, I don't know, I feel like they're top six heavy. And outside of their, like, they have a solid top three, depending on how Brody turns out. But I feel like they, you know, looking at their their play last year, considering, you know, they finished 13th in the league. But they finished with 83 points. And you look at Boston and Tampa, where they were at, you know, 92, 100. And then you had Florida at 78. I don't see there being much of a difference between Florida at 78, three points behind them versus, you know, Edmonton who is two points up with a game played more or Calgary. I just, I, there's, I don't see the separation between the two outside of Toronto having more upper end talent. I think that their bottom six is horrendous and they added Joe Thornton, got rid of some speed. If you're playing like, okay, yeah, they're still going to play Ottawa and Montreal probably 10, 12 times. But you're playing instead of playing McDavid twice, you're probably going to play him eight times. I I feel like McDavid's just going to make like Edmonton has a better overall team right now, top to bottom, and I feel I trust their goaltending more somewhat. I don't trust Jack Campbell as a backup. <laughs> I just I feel like Toronto will, 
realistically looked for those games where they could surprise people and they could use their top six. I feel like if they're on the road against a team like Calgary or Edmonton consistently, they're going to be beat out. Because are you really going to put Joe Thornton against McDavid, or are you going to have you're going to have to put, you know, uh, Matthews against McDavid on when you're in Edmonton or playing the road team as the road team against Edmonton? And I don't think that's a favorable matchup for for Toronto. I think Toronto did lose some of their depth. Um, you know, they lost Kapanen, uh, Janssen. They lost a few of their depth pieces. Um, and you were mentioning their bottom six isn't that great. Um, but it isn't that bad either. I think I still see them at, as a better overall team than the Oilers. Um, you know, outside of McDavid, outside of Dreisaitl, and a few pieces. I mean, Nurse is all right as well. Clefbaum, um, he's pretty decent. I, I don't trust their goaltending situation in Edmonton. I, I still think they're either hot or cold, and you don't really know what you're going to get. And I get it. You could say the same thing about the Leafs, really. Um, you don't always know what you're going to get, and, and sometimes you don't get a full effort out of them. Um, but I think if they don't win this Canadian division, it's going to look pretty bad on them. Uh, so I, I think they're in a position where they almost, they have to perform this year. They have to, they definitely have to get in the playoffs. Uh, and when they're there, they have to win a round. Uh, so I think there's a lot of pressure on them. We'll see how they do. Um, as I said, I, I do see it a little bit differently than you do. I do see them uh, being the top team in that division, um, but maybe not by a ton. You know, it, it is a close, as I said, it, it's a close kind of middle ground division. That's fair. And I mean, it's interesting that you said that, like, you know, it's a, they should be expected to win the Canadian division. If they don't, like, realistically, and this is why I think they have the most to lose, because if they don't lose, if they don't win this Canadian division, what what's the next step? Who gets traded? Who gets moved? You know, there, there's so many question marks as to what happens with the team if you don't win this, this Canadian division. I think if, if you, there's a, there's an excuse or, at least uh, a soft spot or like a, a crutch, like oh Tampa and Boston, if you don't win the division, the Atlantic division, you have Tampa and Boston. I think most people are understanding of that. You have no one. You're, you're considered the best team in Canada mm-hmm. by a long shot by a lot of people. Yep. Even if they finish second, I would be kind of worried. Yeah, there's no more excuses. Um, I think if they don't, if they don't win this division and then win, I mean, if they finish second or third in the division and they still make the playoffs and win a round, they probably save face a little bit. It, it really, it's the playoffs that matters for them. Um, but if they don't win that playoff round and they they fall out once again, um, that core is going to be broken up because what else do you do? They've already moved on from depth pieces. They've already done pretty well everything they can do. Um, and they're a salary cap strapped team. Um, they just don't have the funds. To me, it's it's a lesson in rebuilding. The Leafs, it, if it doesn't work out, it's really, it's on the John Tavares signing. That's where I see things kind of falling off the wagon for Kyle Dubas, because I like a lot of the other stuff he's done. But I think he got a little too overzealous and excited about the prospect of adding a guy like John Tavares. And I'm not saying John Tavares is a bad player, because I think he's a great player. But I, I think that's where they went wrong. 
if you look at it from uh, from the outside, from from an outsider perspective, when they added a guy like Tavares um, into their lineup, into their very young, really good up and coming lineup, and and they did the rebuild the right way up until that point, it was organic. Then they went and added a Tavares in there, and the effect that it had on the contracts uh, from their other big players was huge. And, and his contract alone is also huge and it's going to look really, really bad, really, really soon for the Leafs. Um, and they can't move that guy. Like you're not going to move John Tavares. No one's taking that contract for you. Uh, so to me, that's where they went wrong. If, if it doesn't work out for them, if it does work out for them, you know, good for them, who cares? I don't think it's going to work out. Um, and you know, that's how I see it. I think that's where they went wrong. Yeah. And I hear Here's our list from earlier in or near the end of season one. Um, you know, we both had Winnipeg at three or at four. We both swap like, you know, we had some changes. I think if Toronto plays a team like Winnipeg or a team like Montreal, Calgary, whatever the case may be, they're good. Like a person, I take Markstrom or like Riddick over Anderson and Campbell, Holtby and Demko over over Toronto's pairing and realistically Vancouver built like Vancouver has more playoff series wins than Toronto does that, that Vancouver's core has more wins in the playoffs and more experience winning in the playoffs. And what it takes, they went to game seven against Vegas and you can make an argument that the, Hey, they could have probably won that series if they had a couple of lucky bounces. So in terms of that, I think if they were to go against a team who's won Winnipeg being one of those other teams that core has won in the playoffs, they're really going to struggle because they've had all this regular season success and just have bombed it in the playoffs. The expectations this year are are going to be as high as they've ever been for the Leafs. I mean, they're going to be, like we said, they're going to be expected to win that division and they're going to be expected to win at least a playoff round, at least something for their fans to say, okay, we're moving in the right direction. Because uh, this is really, it's make it or break it time for the Leafs. And if it, if it doesn't work out, what's the next step? Who the heck knows? I mean, I don't know what they do next. They have to, I would think, have to move on from a core player. 100%. And considering they have Mike Riley coming up in free agency, I think not this coming summer, but the following summer. And you have, you know, Frederick Anderson going into free agency in 20, like the summer of 21. That could be a whole shakeup. And which is why I think Toronto has the most to lose and it hurts them the most because they're going to have so much expectations on them. They are going to be taught. They're going to be pegged as number one all year round. They're going to be pegged as, you know, the favorites. If there is, if it's just an all Canadian playoff, so to speak, they're going to be the favorites to move on to the, the final four, whatever you want to call it. So I'm really interested to see what happens with Toronto because if they falter in any way, you know, Either Dubas gets fired, which they probably will since they've already moved on from the coach, mm-hmm. or they're going to move on from a core player. Yeah, or both. I mean, both could happen. Um, I think, yeah, you, you said it. Dubas, I think he's kind of on his uh, his last straw this year as well. If it doesn't work out, like you said, they've already moved on from Babcock, so you would think that he would be next. He's on the chopping block, so to speak. Um, which is, you know, like I said, it's a bit of a shame because I think he had to learn on the job a little bit. He's a young guy and I like a lot of the decisions he made. 
but there's a couple of major decisions there that have such a big impact and I don't know if it's fixable. Yeah. And it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, I think auto has the least amount to lose in all of this, but of all the teams, I think the two teams, it's Toronto and Calgary considering Calgary's off season moves. Uh, you know, Edmonton should also have a lot to lose, could have a lot to lose. I think Ottawa, out of all the teams, is just sitting here like, man, we could finish dead last and we don't care. I mean, obviously they care, but it's like, we can finish dead last in the division, but as long as we're not dead last or bottom three in the league, yeah. we're cool. Like, they have no expectations heading into the season, no matter what kind of division they're in. It's easy living right now if you're DJ Smith and the Ottawa Senators, because you know you have a lot of freedom this season. Like you, you don't have those expectations on you. Like you said, you're looking at that division. And I think Melnick, when, when he came on um, a little bit, a little while ago, he was on a podcast um, and he was talking about this and he said in an all Canadian division, he doesn't really have much expectation for his team. Like he, he really doesn't see it as a fair division for his team. And he sees them. I, I don't know that he said he sees them finishing last, because I don't think he would say that, but he said something along those lines where, you know, he was kind of hinting at the fact that that's a tough division for Ottawa. Uh, so yeah, that there isn't a lot of expectations this year for Ottawa. And I think that's, that's where we see it too, as fans. I mean, we're not going out and expecting Ottawa to win this division or even come top three in this division. We're expecting them to make a small step forward, you know, so whether that's finishing, you know, fifth last in the league as opposed to dead last, that would be a step forward. And at the end of the day, you still get a good prospect and you get put in that lottery once again. So, you know, you could add yet another prospect. Um, but, you know, to me, I, I'm moving past the whole prospect thing. It was a lot of fun, uh, you know, look, uh, hitting the lottery simulator every day and, you know, trying to see what you come up with and, and looking at all the top prospects. But I really want to start focusing on the prospects that we have um, and there's no better way to do that than to look at that game from Friday night, uh, University of North Dakota fighting Senators, uh, because basically they have all our prospects. Uh, what do you think about that game, Shane? So I haven't had a chance to watch the games uh, in full, so I've just been kind of dele- like relegated to the highlights and trying to see what's on Twitter and whatnot. But from what I've seen and from what I've heard people saying, uh, the senators' opinions are turning on Cleveland. They are Cleveland, Cleveland. Oh Cleveland. yeah, yeah, Cleveland. Yeah. They. It seems like senators' opinions are starting to turn on it. Um, they kind of see, you know, he could turn into just like a a, a bruising defenseman. Uh, from what I saw in the first highlight with the game one against Miami of Ohio, Miami University of Ohio, Pinto was all over the place. He, his name was getting called almost like every second uh, against Denver. Sanderson was having a hell of a night. I think against, against Denver Pinto went 18 for 18 in his draws. He won hundred percent of his draws. Crazy stat. And clean too. Like they were all clean wins. It was insane. Like, I, I'm not like, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. He's building off a strong uh, freshman campaign. But I'm just excited to see, like, Bernard Docker was kind of quiet in, in, from what I've seen, the, like, the, the highlights I've seen. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, no, he, he generated a couple of chances, too. I thought his skating was outstanding. His decision-making was outstanding. 
he's again like Bernard Docker isn't someone that's going to come in and put up 50 points in the NHL. Like he's more of a subtle defenseman. He's he's kind of like a DeMello um, with a little bit more offensive upside. And I think we've seen that at the World Juniors. Um, and and that's what I've seen so far in, in the two games you know that I've had the pleasure of watching this season. Um, but yeah, Sanderson stood out the most to me, even in, even in that first game defensively, he was just, he was flawless. Like there's nothing that he did wrong. It was insane. It was, he, he's just, he's winning every puck battle. He makes every decision that he makes on the ice is the perfect decision. It's like he has the ability, the rare ability to slow the game down and just see it at like his, his pass, his like behind the back pass through like four Denver defensemen to the wide side of the feet, like wide side of the ice. Beautiful. It was like on the tape. You couldn't have asked for a better pass. No, there's so many little uh, subtleties that he does. Um, It reminds me of watching Mark Stone. It took a little bit for fans to appreciate Mark Stone, uh, mostly because his stride was just absolutely awful and so ugly. But there was so many subtleties to his game that you had to be a Sens fan to know just how good Mark Stone was. And it'll be the same thing with Sanderson. Other than, I mean, his stride is, is flawless too. So he, he can skate like the wind. But watching, from what I've seen of Sanderson, he reminds me of a young Wade, like a Wade Reddit of old. Just the way he, he skates, the way he moves, how really calm he is with the puck. Hmm. You know, he, he's like, if he does not wear six in Ottawa, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> He might. He's wearing 26, so he could take it down to a 6. That would be super cool. Hey, hey 26 right now is Branstrom's number. So unless Branstrom somehow gets oh, yeah. traded, yeah. Um, I don't see that happening. Correct. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, actually, we, uh, we mentioned it to Steve Warren, or I mentioned it to Steve Warren about it because he was asking for topic, like questions for his podcast. And right. I'm like, what do you think of, like, do you think Branstrom could be on the move if the right deal came across? And he didn't really answer, um, but I would love to see Sanderson in six. That would be so nice because he reminds me a lot of what Redden was during like his heyday in Ottawa. I think six would suit Sanderson extremely well too. Like I'm just picturing yep. him in that Sens jersey wearing the six, and that would look unbelievable. See a JB like this is the thing. I think J like a JBD. Like a Bernard Docker Sanderson uh, pairing in Ottawa could really look like a Phillips Redden pairing. Could probably be like, like not quite because like no one's quite Carlson, so it's I'm not gonna put that on that level. But remembering like watching how lo- like how those two played with each other, how they complemented each other, especially you know when they were young. I know Phillips kind of ended up playing with Volchenkov a lot because they were kind of like the shutdown pairing at one point, but what, like, if you watch, if you guys have a chance to go watch some highlights of Redden and Phillips together, beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful. It's the best D pair we've ever had. I mean, bar none. Yeah. I mean, top, I mean, if there's, there's four D pairs in my mind that come to it, you know, Carlson, Mathot. Yeah. Phillips, Volchenkov, Redden, okay, yeah. Redden, Phillips, and then Redden and Chera. Yeah, exactly. And Redden and Phillips, like they were both in their prime years too. So, I mean, that pairing and, and Chera, I guess you could mix in Chera in there with Redden. 
I like Redden and Phillips. Maybe it's just because Phillips was here for his whole career. So I'm kind of attached to a big rig. I, I, I love that pairing. Uh, that one definitely brings me back to the glory days. So that's my number one pairing. I would put number two, I would probably put Redden and Chera. And then number three, Mathot and Carlson. I don't know. There was just something about the way Redden moved the puck when he was like healthy, like mentally healthy. It was just the most beautiful thing. Silky so smooth. It yeah. was. He he was underrated. If he didn't go, oh. I think if he didn't end up going to New York and having his issues, he probably would have been a Hall of Fame defenseman. Yeah, it was it was a tough end to his career, which is unfortunate. But we seen him at his very best, and when he was at his very best, he was one of the best defensemen in the league. Which is why I have no issue with the the chair over like Redden or Chera. That decision, I had no issue with it because, you know. Looking at our team at the time, and and this is the same thing. People were like, um, when we drafted Brian Lee over like Kopitar or Mark Stahl. Right. If you looked at our team, we already had a bunch of like shut down defensemen, and we needed more of a puck mover. And Brian Lee was supposed to be that secondary puck mover behind Wade Redding. So, you know, you draft because some you draft the best player that fits your needs sometimes, and that's what we did. We didn't need another center at the time. We had Spetsa, we had Fisher, Vermette. So, like, I honestly, if we have another Redden-Phillips pairing, I'm all about it. Man, I'm telling you, Sanderson, I see him going on to be Ottawa's best defenseman. Like, Shabbat included, Branstrom included. I think Sanderson is another level ahead of those guys. I, I, I know it's a small sample size, but I've been watching, you know, his U.S. Uh, games as well, where he dominated that league. He's coming he's, in. He's playing his second collegiate game. This is a huge step up for him. And he's dominant in every way, shape, or form. Any way you look at it. Probably going to be our best overall defenseman. I yeah. think Shabbat's going to be our best offensive defenseman. Yeah. Um, you, you have to separate the two. That's where people get hung up. It's that some people don't have the ability to separate those two. They stare at the numbers and they're like, what are you talking about? Shabbat is, is capable of 60 points or 70 points. And, and yeah, but he might also give you give up like sixty points to the opposing team, right? <laughs> and that's that's where you have to evaluate it. I mean, S- Sanderson is not giving anything up out there. His gap control is perfect. His stick positioning is perfect. Like he's just a flawless technical player, and you could tell. Like he he trains all under all the technicalities. This guy is perfect. Like even blocking a shot the other night. You're looking at the structure he uses to block a shot and he's exposing what you're supposed to expose. And you only see it in practice, a shot being blocked this way. Uh, There's a video Brandon Mackey posted of just one of his shot blocks. And it's, it's so technically perfect and flawless. You have to check it out because it's those subtleties that I love about Sanderson. That's why I'm so high on this guy. We'll be right back. We're going to finish this conversation. We just have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about UND. We got the World Juniors to talk about because if you've been following us on Twitter and if you haven't, you're missing out. Uh, we po- I posted, you know, the last since 2015, who's rep- like, where we've had representation from our picks. You're going to be upset because Kachuk isn't on there. Brandstrom's not on there because they weren't part of the organization when they were when they played. But once we come back, we'll talk World Juniors because that's coming up in about two weeks' time for main camps. Uh, and then we still have our over and under. Christian Willanen is this year's nomination. So we'll be we'll be taking a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Hello and welcome. My name is Brad Lieb. I am a former professional hockey player and this is the Life After Hockey podcast. This is the place where I'll be interviewing former players and exploring their life after hockey journeys, including their successes, challenges, and the causes that they are passionate about. So please join me on the Hockey Podcast Network every Saturday for new episodes and follow me on Twitter at Brad M. Lieb for all my podcast updates. And until then, keep going and enjoy your life. Let's go life after hockey, baby. Woo! <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, everyone, who's tuned in on Twitter or on Twitch. If you haven't followed us yet on either of them, Sends underscore hour. Producing content daily on Twitter. Um, for for everyone else, thank you all for tuning in on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you find your podcasts. So we were just talking about Jake Sanderson before, we, before our break. We're going to continue this UND discussion because there's more than just Sanderson on this on that team. We also got Shane Pinto to talk about who realistically could end up as our number one center. He's that good. I mean, he's solid all around. There's nothing, again, like Sanderson, there's nothing that Pinto does wrong. I mean, he's almost a flawless player. He's a two-way player. He's insanely strong on pucks. He wins every puck battle at the collegiate level at this point. Um he wins every face-off, as we mentioned, and we're not even exaggerating. He went 18 for 18, 100% in the circle. That's unheard of. Um, and he's just an all-around player. He's also got silky hands. Like, there was a couple of times where he made defenders look bad. He's pretty quick. He's not insanely fast, but he's he's pretty quick. He's not slow. Uh, he's got a sturdy frame. He's six foot two, 200 pounds. Um, he's an all-around guy. I love Shane Pinto. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because could, could we see a, a future first line? As much as I like Kachuk, could we see a future first line of just second-round picks in Yerventi, Pinto, and Sokolov? I don't know. I don't know. That's a huge stretch. That would be insane. I mean, that would be – Ottawa would definitely win the draft every year <laughs> if that were the case. I mean, that, that would be insane. I don't think – I wonder if that's ever happened. Like just a first line of only second round picks and organic picks, like from one team, you could probably have it where, you know, you have second round picks on a first or second line on another team after the players have been traded or signed in free agency, but organically, I don't know if that's ever been done. Especially since two of all three of those picks were considered head scratchers when they were picked. That's the funny thing about Sen's Twitter. You gotta love it, man. Uh, you know, just with the Sanderson thing, I kind of had a moment there where I, I had a chance to get back at some people that criticized me so harshly for my Sanderson opinions. Um, you know, because it is what it is. People are catching on and saying, oh, yeah, Sanderson's friggin' amazing. <laughs> and this is why they picked him. And it's like, yeah, okay. Now you're saying yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's like Pinto, right? Everyone was like, who is this guy? Yeah. And like, why are we picking him at, you know, 32nd when there's a boatload of other players to pick? Same reaction with with, with Yarventi, same reaction with Kachuk. You know, same, it, it seems like every year we do these reactions. And I, I'm wondering how long it's going to take before most of San, like Sun's Twitter, specifically Sun's Twitter, 
realizes Pierre Dorian knows what the hell he's doing. It's because these reactions are based on amateur scouting lists. So as fans, and especially fans on Twitter, people pay attention most to these amateur scouting lists, and a lot of them are done based on strictly analytics. So these guys are going around and looking at videos, and I've seen the videos they're looking at. It's the shift-by-shift analysis videos. I don't know if you've seen them. Um, yeah, I've, had, seen, I've seen parts of them. I'm breaking yeah. them down. Yeah, so I had Tim Stutzla's this year for his entire year in Mannheim. Um, all his kind of shift-by-shift analysis. And you, it's really cool because you could see how much he got better over the course of the year. Um, but that that's what they're looking at, and that's what they're really breaking down and analyzing, and they're putting all these kind of analytics and heat maps and everything else into it, and then they're putting out their lists and when a player gets picked that doesn't make the cut on that list, let's say he's, you know, ranked 60th and Ottawa takes him 30, everyone's saying, what what are they doing? That's, you know, that's a goddamn reach. What the heck are they doing out there? They don't know what they're doing. Um, And then you have the, the scouts that rank these drafts right after they happen, which is even more hilarious. So they'll give Ottawa like a D minus, let's say for this season, which is more funny because we haven't seen these prospects develop. So they're going out and saying, oh, yeah, Ottawa gets a D on the draft floor because they absolutely screwed up. And then two years down the road, you know, Ottawa has fourth round players playing on the on the first line. <laughs> I just I still can't like I, I've talked about my not necessarily um, a disapproval of drafting Kachuk before the draft. I was one of those guys that I was happy with drafting Kachuk. I was happy with drafting Zadina. I was more worried about drafting Zadina than Kachuk. My worry with Kachuk was always, he's going to go back to college, play at his college, and then go sign somewhere else. You know, that was always my worry. That's my worry with any college player. You know, that's my worry with Bernard Docker, right? He can go to, he can finish out his university career this year and then tell Ottawa, like, I right, sorry, I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Like, I'm going to go play somewhere else. Like, when you're a college player, that's a legitimate worry for me all the time. When I draft someone and drafting someone in the top five, you know, so Sanderson's kind of the same was kind of in the same boat where I'm like, hmm, he could just stay in North Dakota for four years and then say peace out. Yeah. The other thing is though is that you know it's probably not going to happen. Very rarely does it happen for top ten picks. Yeah, the top picks especially. I mean, they look at the teams that draft them and they appreciate it. Like we're talking about players with you know the highest character here. And that's it, it's a cringy word to say, but it's true. Like these top ten players, Kachuk and Sanderson, they're not going to bail on the teams that pick them, uh, even if it's Ottawa. And, and maybe Ottawa wasn't their number one choice at the time that uh, they got drafted. Um, I, I think they've warmed up to the idea. I know Kachuk has, based on what he said in the media. He seems like he's extremely happy to be here. I have no question he'll be here long term. But I absolutely see that that perspective. You're taking way more of a risk drafting a player from college, uh, especially in the later rounds when you're drafting a player from college as opposed to a player from the uh, Canadian Hockey League. Yeah, 100%. I agree. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I think I, I'm, we po- I posted it on Twitter earlier today. You know, there was a chance of if if there was a normal season, we could see Bernard Docker and Pinto in Belleville this year. There, there was a legitimate chance. If they finished off that season and won 
a national championship, especially Bernard Docker, he only went back because he wanted to win. Yeah, I think we would see them this year. I think, like, I could say that with certainty almost. I, I do believe if they had finished off what they set out to do and won, which they were the heavy favorite to win, and they're even more the heavy favorite now. Um, but yeah, they definitely would have been playing pro this year in Belleville. Um, but but developmentally, is it so bad that they're on this really, really good team and they get to win with a lot of the players that they're going to be teammates with in the future anyway in Ottawa? Is it so bad that they're in college again? I don't think so. Not at all. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But man, we're going to have a lot to talk about UND on Thursday's episode because they play Sunday. Uh, I think yeah. 1 o'clock Eastern is the, the puck drop. I'm working, so I won't be able to watch it. Um, so I think they play 1 o'clock. Um, who do they play? Is it Minnesota? It is uh, Michigan, I want to say. It is uh, not Michigan's main team, the other Michigan. Michigan State? Uh, I want to say it's like North Michigan or, so, or something like that. I'll have to look into it. I'm pretty sure it's a Michigan team, though. Because I was planning on watching it, but now I have I have a bunch of stuff I've got to do, so I'm not sure if I'll be able to watch it live or I'll have to watch back. But uh, at some point, I'll check out the game. That's fair. Um, I'm going to find out who's um, who they're playing real quick, but we do have to jump on over to the World Juniors um, mm. as Sanderson looks to become the fifth player in, in over since 2015 to represent Canada or represent the U.S. at the it was Colin White uh, in 16-17 we had Logan Brown and technically um, Kachuk before he was drafted in 2018 uh, Norris even though he wasn't drafted by Ottawa he did represent the U.S. In 2019, and then 2020, we got Pinto, his breakout. Um, oh, yeah, and it's Western Michigan at 12-15. Western Michigan. Yeah, and then they play Denver on the Tuesday. So we have two games to talk about on Thursday's episode. Um, and then they play Minnesota, St. Cloud, and then Western Michigan. So we'll have, we'll have a lot of North Dakota hockey coming at you over the next little while. And, and don't expect a close game against this next team. Like I've heard Western Michigan just got blown out like 10-2 by a team that's not even close to as good as North Dakota. So this could be an ugly game. Not for North Dakota, though. They're going to absolutely annihilate this team. Yeah. And then it looks like they're done with the bubble at the end of December. And, and this, will they... be, this will be Sanderson's last kick at the can as well. Uh, for this for this uh, round for North Dakota, he'll join them after the World Juniors. But uh, oh yeah, he this, yeah this, he's yeah he plays uh, Sunday and then he's going off to camp. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, we have World Juniors. Uh, we have again Sanderson looks to come to be the fifth player to represent team or represent Canada or represent the U.S. being a Senators prospect. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, uh, Ottawa is going to be – they're going to be well represented at the World Juniors um, for the next little while with all the draft picks they have. 
Uh, we have Sanderson in the States. We have Yarventi, uh, who was named to Finland's preliminary roster. Uh, so he could make it. It's kind of a toss-up. Um, we have, oh, we have Tim Stutzla, obviously, on uh, Germany. And I think Canada plays them on Boxing Day. So that'll be exciting. And we could have Ridley Craig for Canada. Oh, that's the, yeah, that's the one I was forgetting. And Ridley Craig, possibly for Canada, although... A bit of a long shot, but but I think he was named as well to the preliminary roster. He so. was he was invited to camp and whatnot. They like him. He 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 fits their so, like he fits what they're looking for in like a bottom six role. And uh, remembering back to the camp a, a couple of weeks ago, Greg actually had a positive COVID test, so he actually didn't get as much of a, a sample size to kind of prove himself. So it's it's got to be a great sign that he's invited back uh, to, to at least compete for a roster spot. Yeah, it's interesting. And Tyler Cleveland, Cleven, um, he's 18, so he could. He turns 19 in January, so there is talk that he'll be part of next year's tournament. Um, so because I know people are like, oh, you know, why isn't Clev like he should be brought to the team uh, U.S. camp, and um, there's talk that, you know, next year is going to be his year. There's going to be a couple of holes in next year's camp where he'll slot in. Yeah, no doubt. I I think Clevin, he's got a long way to go. I mean, developmentally, um, watching his game, he's got some heavy boots out there. Like, he's not a quick guy. He's got a really ugly stride as well. If you're looking at his stride, his mobility – just isn't there, but he's right now he's, he hasn't been weak defensively by any means, and he's been running people over. Um, so if he continues to, <laughs> if he continues to develop uh, the way that uh, the senators certainly hope that he can, because they picked him, you know, up where they picked him, um, then he could be there as well next year. Uh, but I don't think there's any hope of him making this squad uh, this year. No, no. I mean, it'll be a, it's a long shot for him to even make the NHL realistically, yeah. especially considering like who we have on the left side. Um, but, you know, we're all about dark horses. And I think next year he's going to have a, he's going to, especially if Sanderson goes pro next year, which is a possibility. Um, you know, he could have a huge developmental year playing at North Dakota. Anything's possible. I, I love the development team there. I'm really starting to warm up to uh, Barry, the coach, Brad Barry. Uh, seems like he, he's he got a really good thing going, and he, he has a great understanding of these players. Um, he did an interview recently on TSN 1200, uh, and he was talking in great detail about Jake Sanderson's game and just how much he thought Sanderson was going to surprise people from an offensive perspective. Um, and even at the World Juniors, he was talking about that. Uh, so, you know, check that interview out. I think it's uh, it's really revealing if you're looking for more stuff on Jake Sanderson. 100%. And I think it's interesting to see, like, he's played at the, like, U.S. national level uh, the last couple of years, U18s, U17s. So it's going to be interesting to see how his progression works. But I like, I like Clevin. I think he's one of those guys to watch out for if, there's an opening in Ottawa in the next like three, four, five years. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a down the road kind of player that could kind of safely project on your bottom pairing. Um, 
He's he's a big guy. He's a mean player. He likes to hit. He was extremely physical in that first game uh, that they played against Miami. Like he was lighting people up. He was really really heavy. Um, and his his mobility, I thought, was a little bit worse in that second game. It was a much better opponent. Um, and that's where I thought he was trying. He wasn't trying to do much. He was just trying to play a simple game. Um, and he did that effectively, at least. Yeah, he doesn't seem like much. He, he seems to have a good IQ, though. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think his hockey senses are that like, he knows when to be aggressive and when to kind of sit back and be a little bit more conservative, which as someone with a big body, you know, you kind of look for, you don't want someone who's always running gun, making the big hits and being caught out of position with those hits. So from what I've seen of him, I think he has a good hockey sense. I think he, he can, he understands when to be aggressive, when to make that push and when to sit back and play it a little bit more conservative. Yeah, exactly. And I think he knew that the opponents uh, Friday night were much better. Uh, so he did play a lot more conservatively where that game one, he was kind of trying to make a stance and, and show people that, uh, that he can go and throw a big hit and still get back uh, into position against some of those weaker opponents. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch his development. But with that being said, you know, we're hitting the hour mark, so we only got about 15 minutes left. And we got the over-under. Um, we got Quish- Christian Malanin coming in as today's tribute. Uh, in a 50, we're going to base everything now on a 56-game season until told otherwise. And we're I'm going to put his points at 21 and a half points in a 56 game season just below half a point a game i think personally i think it's a relatively easy one at 21 and a half points but Derek, i'm gonna let you kick it off over under our 21 and a half points for christian Rolando. oh man that's right kind of right where i had him too um i think he's gonna get a lot more opportunity this year um they need him to do well this year uh, they don't want to be forced into bringing brandstrom back up i think they feel much more safe developing Branstrom in Belleville. Uh, so I think Will Lannan's going to get that opportunity basically to be the next best option behind Thomas Shabbat offensively uh, from the blue line. So 21 and a half points over 56 games. That would be a, a really good season. Uh, I think it was a few seasons ago now that Will Lannan put up really good totals in the American League. Um, but since then, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, and didn't quite look like the Willannon that we seen previously last year when we seen him for the really, really small sample size. So I'm really hoping he has a strong offseason. Um, for this one, I, I, I don't feel safe taking the over uh, simply because I'm not sold on Willannon just yet. He's a 25-year-old. He's had some pretty significant injuries. Um I like Willannon's game, but I see him more as a bottom pairing defenseman. Um, and I, I don't know that he's going to put up that many points. So I'm going to take the under on this one. I'm going to play it cautious. I'm going to take just just under, like a hair under. I'm saying like 20 points. Oh, wow. Going un- under, I'm kind of surprised. I'm taking the over. I feel like Branstrom's a lot better than people think he is. And I know he, you know, he, had, he had that injury last year. And... You know, that was kind of his – he, but he would never – up until that year, he never really had a chance to show that he can be a top-four guy with the guys we had on our roster. I'm expecting Willani to come out guns blazing, show everyone that, hey, I can be an NHL player. And with the with the upgrades on 
on for as a forward group, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if he's putting out like he has like 25 points. He's going to get second unit power play time, which is still going to be lethal. Shabbat gets hurt. He's our number one power play guy. There's a chance for him to kind of show that hey, I can do this. I can be a, a number a top four defenseman. Yeah, and, and theoretically, you could even put him on the number one power play unit if you wanted to put two left-shot defensemen, like you could put Shabbat and uh, Wolanin both on the top power play unit and just have, you'd probably have Shabbat on his offside for the one-time option, um, but you could have Wolanin setting him up, and there's a few kind of freebies for uh, for points. And Wolanin's good at setting plays up. Like, that's the one thing um, previous to his injury um, so before last season, when he was uh, up with the big club in Ottawa, he had glimpses where I thought like, man, this guy's really going to break out next year. Uh, and then he had that really unfortunate injury. Um, so I, I definitely, I could see where you're coming from. I mean, there isn't a lot of offensive weapons on the blue line yet. Basically the second option uh, aside from Shabbat, but I'm just, I'm just not too confident in how he's going to bounce back as a 25-year-old who's had a couple of down seasons now and hasn't quite been the same player, but uh, but I, I'm hopeful that you're right about this. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to – you got the under, I got the over. I mean, it's not much of an under for you sitting at like 20 points. That's still yeah. respectable. Uh, I just – I feel like, in a, like him and Shabbat are going to probably be like top five in scoring, like in points. I, I just have a feeling that like – our top, if I'm going to pick a top five in scoring, it's going to be Shabbat, Dadanoff, Kachuk, Connor Brown, and you know I think Tierney's in there, but I just I think Will Lane is just going to have a really good year, and he's going to be just nudging those guys out. Yeah, see for me, I'm I'm putting Galchenyuk in that mix. Uh, I know we've talked about it before, but I could just see him tearing it up this year because he's going to be extra motivated. Like he's going to come in knowing that this is his last kind of chance to stay in the NHL. So again, I see him taking over the number one center uh, position. Colin White, I think, is going to have a bounce back year. We've talked about Shabbat will absolutely be up there. Kachuk will be up there. Dadnov will be up there. That's my my top five. 100%. It's going to be real interesting to see what happens. Um, But, you know, we we got through a lot today. It was a good episode. Got to discuss quite a bit, which is always fun. Uh, Hopefully... On Thursday's episode, we'll have some more. We'll obviously have more North Dakota news. Hopefully, we have more NHL news in terms of divisions or schedule or whatever the case may be. But, you know, for today's episode, uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in on Twitter. Anyone who's coming through the live stream, thank you all for joining Twitter, Twitch. And for anyone who's listening to this on the podcast on Monday morning or whenever you're listening to it, thank you all for tuning in. You can find myself, Shane underscore Ryan 97. Derek D. Lee 075. And obviously, you can find the podcast, Sens underscore hour on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Twitch. We'll have new content, videos, live streams up, new episodes Monday and Thursday, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And we also have a contest going on still. You can win whatever kit you want from the Senator's history from 92, 93 until now. So head on over to our Twitter to uh, enter into that and yeah, thank you all for like coming in and we will catch you back here Thursday with a brand new episode of the Sends Hour podcast stay safe and enjoy it uh, Christmas is around the corner so get your shopping done take care <laughs>